Friends, it is so good to see you today. I'm glad that you're here and our friends online, so good to see you as well. Glad that you're with us. I'm really glad that you're with us. And I want you to just uh, be excited about today. I'm excited about today. There is uh, good things coming. And it starts out with some things that uh, feels a little uncomfortable as we start talking about deep problems that each and every one of us has to face. But there's deeper grace that we've been talking about. So we are in part three of deep problems, deeper grace. Now, in part one, we, and reiterated it in part two as well, we talked about how both science and the Bible, or theology and psychology, I almost lost that one there, uh, agree that human beings are actually happier within boundaries. And if you just eliminate all boundaries, then you're going to actually create an unhappiness, more distress, more problems in your life. Now, we're not necessarily agreed on what those boundaries are because we as believers believe that God has given us boundaries and so we've been looking at commandments as boundaries that God has given us. We're discovering how helpful these commandments are in ways that are surprising because they're not just boundaries that we're, we think as long as we stay in these boundaries, we're good. We actually discover that we struggle. We have deep problems and that in itself tells us a little bit about ourselves and a lot about God, about his holiness and about how we struggle and we are not holy. And that's an important thing to get a hold of. Then we see our need for deeper grace. So that's kind of where we've been. We also recognize that commandments serve as a schoolmaster or a guide that take us by hand and lead us to our deepest needs, which is a need for grace, a need for Christ, a need for a Savior. So that's kind of what this whole series has been about. I'm trying to build it in kind of four layers. And so here are the titles that we've been working on and you'll be glad to know that the one awful title that I keep referring to, I've finally spent enough time on it to come up with a better title, but we've been working on walking up, or waking up to the problem. We can walk up to it, but we need to wake up. Waking up to the problem, why profanity is a problem. Today we're looking at exposing the problem of pride, and finally we can get rid of, or at least not have it as the prominent, oh, come hear this, lift the sewer lid. Oh, I would like to come hear that. No, Now it's going to be talking about how to make your life a sweet fragrance. Think that's better? I think so. I would like my life to be a sweet fragrance, and so we're going to be talking about that next week. Now, as we talk about expose the problem of pride, we come into some confusion in our culture, and it's hard as a teacher of the Bible to... uh, clear this up. So I want to clear it up kind of rapidly because pride in our culture has a good side of pride and a bad side of pride. And we use the the word pride, uh, depending on where we use it, as good or bad. The particular word that I'm working with that shows up five times in the New Testament is always bad in the New Testament. So we're not talking about, I'm proud of you, son, or I'm proud of my work. I'm proud that I did good here. I I have the, the pride of ownership. Some of those things are good, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a proud 
that is bad. And so to clarify right up front, I wrote down kind of a lengthy description of this word. So the Greek word for proud in the New Testament is always negative. It is, not that you need to know this, huperephanos, okay? But you might want to know how this word comes together because one of those words is familiar to us. The first word is hyper or hooper, hyper. And hyper means above or over. So if you're hyper something, you're above that. You're over that. You really are over that, okay? So you've got this hyper word attached to another word, uh, phainomai, which means I appear. So it means, get this, proud in this word, showing myself above others because I see myself above others, even above God. That's why this word proud is bad, and it needs to be exposed as a problem. I, n- I have a typo here, and i got to figure out what I w- actually mean. <laughs> I no longer see myself properly as a creature because I'm above or over others and I'm above and over God, I no longer see myself properly as a creature and God as creator. I see myself above others and I'm central. That's the idea here that we have to expose. I worship myself. For the proud, life is all about me and all about now. The proud are self-deceived and self-assured. They have the hyper, I've got this mentality. Now I'm taking the word, a piece of that word, hyper, I've got this. I've, I've super got this. And that's the attitude that you come across. I've got this more than you've got this. And then you can even come across this, I don't need God, I don't need you, I've got this. So we're going to begin with the question, what does it take to expose this? Because most people who have this, they do not expose it to others, it's just inside of them. In our culture, we have enough social graces to hide it enough to where it can't really easily be seen, and yet, inside of us, we still have this. Now, let me just say this. Who has this problem? The answer is, I do. The answer is, you do. And yet, you do all you can to make sure you squeeze it into social conformity so that it doesn't come out in ways that people just think you're an arrogant awful person to be around, we kind of squelch it, but we end up being a lot about ourselves. And so there's a lot to this. So what would it take to bring the hyper I've got this down to size? Now, I just started thinking about that a little bit. And you could say the hyper I've got this comes down to size rather rapidly when you say I've got this and then you're in an earthquake. (laughs) when you're in a big earthquake, you're not going to go, I've got this. Now you suddenly feel smaller and God and the power of God feels a lot larger. Or in the language of the Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. If you are facing a bear, standing up tall above you and he is zeroing down on you, now your I've got this doesn't feel like I've got this. 
That's the idea, right? And so when you have that, or how about, you know, uh, you're walking along a place and suddenly a volcano forms underneath your feet or close to you and all of a sudden things start tilting and then there's eruption. Okay, suddenly you're feeling quite small. Not many of us have had that experience. But things like that demonstrate the bigness of God and the smallness of creatures. And so that would be one way of exposing the problem that we have inside of us. But there's another methodology that Jesus used and the apostles used and many preachers have used quite effectively and we're going to use that methodology today. In fact, we're going to take a look at how Jesus used it with a person who was quite proud but came across humble. And so we're going to see how Jesus uses this method. And here's the method. Point number one. Jesus taught the commandments to the proud. Now, to the broken, he, he really brought grace. He brought kindness and goodness and love and healing. But to the proud, he brought commandments and helped the proud to see the fact that they are proud. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, looking at the story of what people call the rich young ruler. He's called the rich young man, the rich young ruler, the man. In different gospels, he shows up in the same story in different places. We're looking at Mark chapter 10. I'm starting at verse 17 where we read, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what's really interesting about this is he appears quite humble. He falls on his knees before him, and he says, good teacher to him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he is referred to as the rich young ruler, but he's Jewish, so he's not like a a political ruler. Most likely, he is a synagogue leader, even though he's very young, which is unusual. He has ascended the ranks really rapidly, And he is well regarded by the people and he is appearing to be quite humble because it was very unusual for somebody like a Pharisee or a synagogue leader or somebody who rose in the ranks of Judaism to fall before Jesus humbly like this on his knees. So he looks quite humble. But then he asks this question, good teacher, and even that seems like a, a deferential reverence for somebody above him. And then he says, and he asks a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's basically saying, how do I get to heaven? But the way he forms the question and the way he addresses Jesus actually reveals something inside of him that Jesus knows and begins to expose. And that's what we're looking at. And so we keep reading. So Jesus refuses to answer the question directly. He goes to a problem that he sees that none of us pick up on. And he says, why do you call me good? Now, we're going to go, what do you mean why do they call you good? You are good. That's why he called you good. He's been looking at you and you are good. But he is telling us something that the man doesn't believe, but the Bible teaches The Bible teaches it in the Old Testament with Jeremiah. The Bible teaches it with Jesus right here. And the Bible teaches it with Paul later. And it's throughout the Bible. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Every human being has fallen short. 
They are not good. They're filled with sin. And we're going to take a look at the Jeremiah passage in a little bit. But what is Jesus doing here? He already understands what the man is. He's bowing down. He's calling Jesus good. And it looks great. It looks humble. But he feels like he himself is one of the good guys. And he wants to hear from the good guy, am I missing anything? And then we are going to see how Jesus then says, no one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus is not denying that he is good. Fact that the man sees that he is good, if he really truly sees it, only God is good and Jesus is God. So he is good. But the point isn't to define himself. The point is to help the man define who he is. And he's got a self-definition that's all out of whack. We're going to see this as Jesus continues. So we go to verse 19. You know the commandments. And then here's interesting. He picks out a few commandments. It's really interesting which ones he doesn't pick out because he'll come back to them later. And it's interesting which ones he does pick out because he's going to build off of this to expose the man. I just have to say, by the way, the more I study Jesus, if, if, if he's just from... He came and became a man. Here's what I believe about him. He is the smartest human being that ever lived. If he was only a human being, he's the smartest human being that ever lived. He is so, so insightful. So, so smart. I believe that he's more than that. He's the son of God. He's fully man, fully God. But he says this. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then we hear the guy's response. Teacher declared, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Is he not listening? Jesus just said, no one is good except God alone. And the guy says, teacher, I've I've kept all these. And you know what? I think he really thinks he has. Because he has been a good Jewish boy. He's been a good Jewish boy who's lived it out exactly according to the religiosity of his culture. And so as long as you define everything correctly, according to that culture, he has never committed murder. But if you define it according to the way Jesus defines it, your heart when you hate somebody is murderous. We're going to address that next week. Okay? But for right now, he says, I've done all this. Jesus just bypasses that and he's going to get down to the heart of it in a moment. So, point number two. Review. Jesus taught the commandments to the proud because you won't take his prescription unless you know you're sick. If you think you're okay, and that's what the guy just said, I've done all these. I am okay. Then you're not going to take the prescription. So Jesus has to go, no, I need to show that you haven't done all these and you're sick. And so here's where we're going with this. Before we do, I mentioned Jeremiah. I want to just go to Jeremiah right now. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, last week we mentioned Ezekiel that 
or was it the week before? I get confused. You don't. You got this. All right, Ezekiel where, you know, the heart of stone is removed and the heart of flesh is replaced and God is putting his spirit into us to move us to follow the decrees. There's this heart transplant spiritually that has to take place. There is a cure, but it's not to the existing human heart as it is. You have to surrender to Jesus and allow God's spirit to enter in. And then you're going to see some transformation. That's what is the cure. But on our own, I've got this, is the wrong answer. You don't have the cure. I am good enough. No, 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 no. That's not exactly right. Now, here's how Jesus responds to the guy who says, I've got this. Uh, And Mark, continue on. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want us to pause there. There's not a condemning attitude of Jesus. He loves a guy very, very much. And out of that love, because he loves him, he's literally going to do all he can to help the self-deceived, arrogant, achieving Jewish man to see that he's got a problem because he loves him so much, he's got to see this if he's going to go to heaven. Did you catch that? If you don't see this, you won't go to a savior. And you will still have a problem with your own pride thinking you're good enough. You think that when you get there, God, I was better than him and him and him. If you can't take me as is, then I don't even like you. Who are you now above? Now you're above God. God says, no, there's a problem. Heaven is perfect. It's a holy place. You need a savior. You're not holy. If you don't have that yet, you've got a problem. Let me work on some commandments so you have that. That's Jesus' point. He loves him so much, now he's going to point out some commandments that the guy will be exposed by. So here we go. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. All right. One thing you lack. Don't answer out loud. Which one thing is missing? You might be tempted to think the one thing that's missing is he hasn't given to the poor. He hasn't sold it off. He hasn't helped his neighbor. That's the one thing missing. That is the wrong answer. You're not going to get to heaven by anything you do. You're going to get to heaven when Jesus gets in you and now you follow Jesus. How do you get there? Follow Jesus. What keeps you from following Jesus? When something comes between you and God. If there's anything that comes between you and a savior, that's the problem. So he addresses this man's problem and he knows us well enough to know that if he were to draw a line in the sand, he knows which line to draw for each one of us. Maybe some of us are very giving, very generous, caring about our neighbor. And he would maybe address one of those other commandments more deeply. He says, wait, 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 wait. You've never committed adultery? Now, come on. You're looking at porn all the time. That is adultery. He maybe would point at something else for you. But for this man, that wasn't his problem. This man had two problems. He didn't love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he didn't love his neighbor as himself. Now, those two problems happen to be the biggest commandments there are. 
He broke the two greatest commandments. He didn't love God enough to let go of money and love his neighbor. And Jesus totally identifies two things this guy has done wrong. And you know what I think? I think the guy is so proud he doesn't see it. I think that this was Jesus' best effort to expose the proud heart that he has. And I think he walked away because it didn't work. It's quite possible that this day, even though I'm being as pointed and as sharp as I know how to be, that Jesus will expose the problem of our heart and say, if you don't know that you're not God, and if you don't know that you're so bad that you can't get to heaven on your own, you've got to do something to repent of that sin inside of you. If, if you don't see it, you can walk away very sad because you feel okay about yourself. And Jesus loves you enough. He loves you enough to say, I don't want you to go there. That is suicide. Spiritual suicide. If you think you're good enough, it's spiritual suicide. It's eternity apart from God. I need to get down into your heart and scalpel that right out of there. You need to confess your pride. You need to confess that you need a savior. You need deeper grace. And this is where Jesus is getting at with this guy. But he walked away. So let's take a look at a review of where we are so far. Jesus taught the commandments to the proud because you won't take his prescription unless you know you're sick. Point number three, Jesus offers grace only to the humble. He can't offer grace when you remain proud. You have to repent of your pride and say, I've got a problem. The scripture says it quite clear. God opposes the proud. If there's anything I want to avoid, I want to avoid God opposing me. So I want to deal with my pride. Guess what? The same way this guy became proud was the same way I became proud. I'm just guessing. I believed my mother. Oh, Jimmy, you're awesome. You've got such a good heart. You're going to be able to do anything. You, you're, whatever you put your mind to, you're going to succeed. You can do this, you can do that, and you just self-esteem. Did you know that every murderer that's uh, studied psychologically has high self-esteem? Because they have hyper pride. They're above the one they kill. They are bigger and better than others. And so I can imagine this Jewish mother just building up this young man and he just rises and ascends in the Jewish system. He's doing so great and he's accumulating wealth and doing so well and he's like the person every mother is pointing to. You need to be more like that boy. And that's the way the disciples looked at him. And so Jesus has to do a debrief with his disciples for them to understand what is going on here. And here's the debrief. Jesus offers grace to the humble. In Mark 10, 25 through 27, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Now here's why they ask this. From an Old Testament perspective, only the blessed are rich. 
and especially the blessed are rich. It's like proof that you're on God's side. He's blessed you. And from their Jewish perspective, that's how they viewed it. What? A blessed person can't be saved? They didn't get that. They didn't understand that. And then Jesus has to reorient. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. Again, it's the same theme. No one is righteous except God. No one is good except God. There's no way to get there on your own. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. Nobody can get there that way. He's very clear. He was clear with the man. The man didn't believe it and thought he was good enough. And he tithed. He obeyed the Jewish laws about money, but he had so much. There's no way he could get rid of it more. No. And Jesus exposed his heart. He didn't love God. He let that get in the way. Money was his gravitational center. Money was his motivation in life. And guess what? You can't follow in this direction at the same time you're following in this direction. Money will take you this way. Jesus will take you that way. And you can't follow both. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Only one gravitational center is allowed. Only one motivational center works. And that's when Jesus saves your heart and you say no to anything that comes between you and God. With man, this is impossible. But when you have that heart transplant and the Spirit of God helps you to love God more than everything that gets in the way, every time something gets in the way, the Spirit brings conviction. The peace is gone. You decide you're going to do something about it. So I'd like to bring a couple of quotes on the screen for us. If you think that you can go to heaven without being born again, That's what I'm referring to. Scripture uses that phrase, spiritually reborn. When your heart is literally, your old heart changes by the Spirit of God, when you surrender and submit and repent before God and ask Jesus to be your Savior, you're ignorant of two things. You don't know how wicked your heart is and you don't know how holy God is. Jesus makes sure we know God alone is good and we are not. If you're not seeing that every day, you're not looking into the mirror of the Word of God. One must look at the mirror of the Word of God to see who they're really like and what they look like before God. If you're not looking at the Word of God and you're looking at the TV as your only screen that reflects who you are, you feel like you're pretty good. You're better than that person, that person, that person. Every show, there's wicked people. I'm good. I'm good enough. I'm sorry. You're measuring horizontally. You've got to measure vertically the way Jesus looks at our own hearts and go, I need you. And you'll discover you need to say that today. I need you today. In the next slide, I don't want it up there yet, we're going to help lead us through communion. And so right now, before we go there, if you're going to take communion with us, which is a time to remember Jesus, there's a prepackaged cup. It kept falling off with the drums, so I put mine inside of the cup. <laughs> it, was, it would make its way off my bench. Grab this cup. Let me just uh, 
give you some pre-instructions because when it's time for us to take it together, I'm going to let you kind of do this before God, just you and God. I just need to talk it through just in case today is the first day of you, you encounter one of these prepackaged deals. If you take the tab and put it up and down, you should separate. There's two, there's a cellophane cover, which covers the bread. Then there's an aluminum foil cover that covers the juice. So just remove the cellophane cover and you can take off the bread and get that ready. And then when you're ready, you can take off the aluminum cover. Now the slide um, that I want us to take a look at, and you can look at it here. Before, let me just read it, then we'll talk it through. Drop every other false security and reach for Jesus. So if your security is, I'm doing my best. If your security is, I need my wealth to feel secure. If your security is, as long as I have my health, I feel pretty good. If your security is, as long as I have a big enough insurance program, I'm safe. No. Drop every other false security and reach for Jesus. Confess, repent, and reach for Jesus. He reaches for you through the cross. If your security is only in something you did a long, long time ago and you've never really dealt with all the stuff that's come between you and God since then, drop that security for right now because you've got some stuff to deal with. You're not up to... Up to date here, you need to confess, repent, reach for Jesus. When we take communion together, that's what we're doing. We're remembering the cross. We're remembering the body that Jesus offered up on the cross when he took our punishment that we didn't deserve and he is holy and pure. He, he became the lamb of God for us that takes away the sins of the world. And when we take the juice, we're remembering that he poured out his blood. He paid the penalty that we deserve, but we're let off. And he did all of this while we were still sinners, Paul says. While they were still sinners, while the very people who were crucifying were still sinners, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Confess, repent, and reach for Jesus. He reaches for you through the cross. Don't walk away sad like the rich young man. So if you're all messed up today and you don't want to take communion because you're all messed up today, the cross is what fixes. Don't try to fix yourself first. Just confess and repent. That's how you reorient your life to Jesus. You're saying, this is wrong. I agree with you. This has come between me and you. I agree with you. I receive you as the answer. You as the cure. Reach for the cup as if it's the medicine you need for your soul because Jesus is the answer. Receive Jesus. Be transformed by Jesus. Follow Jesus. If you've never taken communion in your life, this is an invitation to salvation. Because we're not talking about bread and juice. We're talking about Jesus that this represents. So I invite you. You're welcome to, if your heart is soaring inside of you saying, I am messed up. They're messed up. I thought they're just going to present themselves as they're better than me. They're not. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus. That's what we declare when we remember that Jesus, our Savior, died for us. And in a sense, we're getting rid of everything that comes between us and him. And we're saying, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I'm following you. So in your own way, confess. Repent means change your mind instead of doing all those things that you know are getting in the way. Even if you don't know how to get rid of that yet, 
Go to the source, the prescription. Jesus is going to help you. Declare that and participate together. So just pray a moment. And when you're ready, take the bread, remembering his body. Take the cup, remembering the payment. Jesus is our cure. Lord Jesus, you have pinpointed our need. We need to recognize who you are, that you are good, the only one who's good, the only one who could adequately bring the cure to us because you were innocent, holy, and perfect, able to take all sins upon yourself, my sins, bring those to death and burial with you and your body, and then to remove them forever, judicially, so that I'm justified before God, not on the basis of anything I have done, but on the basis of what you have done on the cross. Lord God, I thank you for that. And now I ask by your spirit to fill me and help me to follow. And that every time I see that I'm not, that I would pause and repent and agree with you that 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 little maneuver, that little sidestep, that little slipping back and going the wrong direction was sin. I turn back to you, my cure, my savior, my strength, my hope, and I ask you to help me by your power to walk with you and bring you glory and honor. We thank you and praise you for offering us grace once and for all and grace like fuel for the day, fuel for every day that your kingdom might be lived in us and through us, that you'd bring order out of the chaos of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you're glad that you came with us today. I, uh, I've been tasked with giving you all the announcements that I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I think we're kind of short on announcements. So let me just say this. If you made a significant decision or you have significant questions because it leads to all kinds of questions. Well, how do I, how do I get better? How do I follow? I, I feel like I can't and all those kinds of things. Um, we have uh, prayer cards um, that are located not on the chairs like they usually are, but at the prayer uh, tables to fill out and ask for prayer, uh, to get a follow-up call. If you're online, you can it, right now type and uh, talk to somebody about your prayer need, have somebody begin to pray for you. Because life with Jesus and following Jesus, God designed it for us to do this with others together. 
Don't do life alone. And so reach out for prayer today and we will come alongside you, begin to bring the kinds of practical answers that are help to you. And then uh, because of our circumstances, I encourage you to go on out the hallway after you've filled out those things and uh, there's snacks and things outside. You enjoy each other's company and uh, enjoy a great day. We'll see you back next week for a, a conclusion of this deep problem series leading us to a deeper grace. Hope to see you then. We'll all be smelling a lot sweeter then. Okay? (laughs) Have a great day. See you next week.